so this time through Advent, we've been talking about the incarnation, about God becoming enfleshed, and some of the titles that Christ was given in that time. And we're going to talk a little bit today about Christ as the light of the world. Light is a, um, a major thematic image. It runs all through Scripture over and over. And if you haven't caught it before, it's one of the first images you get early in, in Scripture. Uh, in Genesis, we have the first creation story. Uh, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. We're familiar with that passage, and, and a lot of us are familiar with the, the beauty of the light. We uh, think of that in terms of the, the daylight, but also some of us who uh, look in the sky at night and enjoy the, the stars and uh, the astronomy kind of side of that and, and get to uh, enjoy uh, looking up into the heavens and, and seeing the light that God has placed there. And we understand a little bit of that, that joy that that brings. Um, sometimes those of us who live in the city forget the flip side of that about you know how how unsettling the darkness can be because we really don't experience that very much we're we're here in town where there's always you know lights on in the buildings or lights on the streets or lights coming from somewhere so there's always some light somewhere and, and when I was young and lived more in the country even there if you went out in the countryside at night uh, one of the things uh, that you learn is that you know there's still quite a bit of light even even in the night from the stars and from the moon and uh, I've enjoyed having folks from here that have gone to the HEB Foundation camp for Bethany Retreat, and they'll talk about being able to see all the stars at night and how beautiful it is, and they're kind of amazed that there's enough light there to even see to, to be able to walk around uh, after dark. Uh, even without a flashlight, sometimes the, the sky is so bright. But there are places you can go where you can really experience what, what real darkness looks like. So... Um, a number of years back when I was serving the church in Lano, the, the scout troop went camping at what was then the new state park of Bend uh, up on the Colorado River. And, uh, and as we were there, we went to Gorman Falls, and of course there's Gorman Caves uh, there. The caves are not open to just walk into, uh, but the Texas Spelunkers Association does a tour into there every so often. It's not a developed area. Uh, you need somebody that knows what they're doing to go with you. Uh, you put on the little hat, you know, you have the little light up on the head, you know, to see what you're doing. Uh, they carry a meter with you that reads the air because sometimes the air in the cave goes bad and you want to know before, you know, you pass out. Uh, so they, they're, they're checking that as you go in. Uh, and so we did this. We, we signed up. Uh, they were going to be there that weekend. We said, we want to go. And some of the boys wanted to go. And, and a group of us went down and, and were led into this cave by this gentleman from the uh, Spelunkers Association. He walks us in. And it's a small cave. It's not like, you know, Carlsbad or anything like that. It's a small cave. And it's fairly tight quarters. But, but then you come to a certain section after you've kind of gone in a ways and curved around a little where you're away from the light of the entrance, you come to this place where, where, where the walls become fairly narrow. Uh, in fact, it's narrow enough that you have to turn sideways to walk through it. And as you're going through, there's a, there's a rock wall right here, and there's a walk, rock wall right behind you. And, and, and in fact, in a couple places, it's narrow enough that your hard hat will scrape the walls on both sides. So we're, we're walking through this like this, and he goes, okay, let's stop for a minute. No, let's not. No, let's stop for a minute, and I want everybody to reach up and turn off your light. 
Now, I'm not claustrophobic, but I was that day. So we turn off the light, and, and we're all kind of sitting there, and there's just this sense that, you know, it's just closing in on you, and, and we're sitting there, and the guy finally says, okay, is everybody okay? Now, you know, the Boy Scouts are not going to go, no, right? They're, no, no, heaven forbid that they, and I'm going, not really, no, not really. He's, he says, really? He says, how are you feeling? I said, I'm, I'm kind of freaking out right now. Uh, and he goes, okay, okay, well, everybody turn your light back on. And we turned them on, and there was this collective <sighs> from the group. And I thought, okay, I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> to be in that kind of darkness, all of a sudden you become aware, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know which way is up. I don't know how to get out of here. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I, it's, it's a very unsettling sensation. So scripture builds on that imagery all through the light that allows us to know where we're at, where we need to go, that grounds us, makes us feel secure, makes us feel held, and the darkness that threatens all we are. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you send the light to us in the birth of Christ. And we ask that your light would shine on us this morning. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, so the image of light in this sense is, is strung through Scripture. Uh, in, in the beginning, you had that very first creation of it. And then in John's Gospel, John reaches back to the beginning and reminds us of this. In the beginning was the Word. And, and that word there uh, in the Greek is capital L for logos. Uh, it, it's the, the plan, the will, the structure, the organization. Uh, it's a term borrowed from Stoic. Uh, culture. Uh, and John brings it across and says, this is the plan. You know, this is in the beginning was, was the plan, was God's plan. This plan was with God and, and it was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, now John's, John's brothers and sisters reading that understood immediately that this is a reference to the birth of Christ, that Christ is the light and the life, and that he shines in the darkness. And they understood that the darkness did not overcome it was a veiled reference to the resurrection. But although the, re the darkness had tried to snuff out the light, it had not been able to. And so he, he picks that up and brings that image forward. And, and then at the end of Scripture, now we're going from Genesis, we've gone to about the middle of John here. We're going down to the end in Revelation. At the end of Revelation, uh, John tells us that there will be no more night. They, the people of God, need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So, so this light of God, the presence of God, stretches from the beginning to the end of all Scripture and is woven all through it and, and comes to bring light and life and hope. The flip side of that is, is the image of darkness that's used in Scripture. And sometimes that's a, kind of portrayed as a moral uh, kind of darkness. Uh, Proverbs, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. Uh, it's like being stuck in the cave in the dark. Uh, or First John, whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. Um, this idea that, that this disconnect from God and God's way uh, leads us into this place of darkness. 
Sometimes it's, it's spoken of more existentially. Uh, my face is red with weeping and deep darkness is on my eyelids, the, the darkness of heavy grief that weighs us down. Uh, Psalm 23, uh, very familiar, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or you may be used to hearing it translated, the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, I fear no evil for you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those of us who've walked through times of deep grief in our life know uh, that, that sense of darkness and heaviness that we move through at that time. And sometimes those come together um, kind of in a powerful way that, that really hints at the, the greater understanding of darkness. Some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurred the counsel of the Most High. This kind of darkness that, that is separation from God, uh, that, that separates us out, where we're no longer connected with the life of God, which sometimes leaves us in moral darkness because we don't know the way to go, sometimes leaves us in this existential place of darkness because we lose all hope, and sometimes leaves us in this deep darkness because we are without God's presence, or we feel that we are. I mean, this idea of, of being in that place, and, and into that kind of darkness that, that is in the world and that surrounds us all at different times, God comes and God's presence brings the light. It's you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And that promise from Isaiah's uh, prophecy to the Hebrews, uh, you know, where God says, The people in dark, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness... On them light has shined. This promise of the coming of the presence of God that Matthew then picks up and makes sure we understand to apply to Christ, where he repeats it almost verbatim. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. This understanding of the coming of light in the presence of God that's given to us. In John, we have that passage at the beginning where he talks about the life that shines, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then John continues and says, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John wants us to be sure we understand that connection, that the presence of God, the light of God, is born into the midst of us in the person of Christ. And the Shekinah glory, the, the glory that's reflected in the, in the pillar uh, that leads the, the Israelites through the desert, you know, the pillar of fire by night and, and the smoke by day, the glory of God is seen in Him. Come on. Jesus, uh, no, that's not. Okay, now we're getting there. And then Jesus even claims that. Uh, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He even, even claims that for, for who he is. Uh, so we understand that this light of the light, uh, the light it, it is applied to the person of Christ. He is the light of the world, the presence of God shining into the darkness that we often live in. Now, now in John's gospel, this, this image of light and darkness gets played a lot. John loves the, that imagery. He uses it a lot. And, and 
it always kind of, when you see those language uh, in John's gospel, it means somebody either is, is connecting with God or isn't connecting with God. You, you just kind of learn to look for that in John's gospel. He's giving you these, these hints the way he talks about it. And early in the gospel uh, is this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, who is one of the Jewish leaders and a Pharisee. Uh, and it starts, you know, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. And said to him, he came to him by night. So John's telling you right now, he doesn't really get it. Nicodemus doesn't really understand what's going on. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can, can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, none can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Now one of the pieces that's important to know with this little story is that the language of being born again or being born from above or being born of the Spirit was not new language to Nicodemus. Uh, it was the way in the Jewish community when somebody uh, came from another faith and, and converted to Judaism, that was the language that was used, that they were born anew or they were born from above. So, so that language is not unfamiliar to Nicodemus. It's just that Jesus is applying it to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is thinking, why, I'm already a Jew. I don't need to be born from above. Why, why do I need this? And he doesn't understand what Christ is telling him or who Christ truly is. The interesting part about this is when we come to the end of John's gospel, after the crucifixion and the death of Christ, you have this scene. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, now you need to hear, he came to him first at night. And in this story, right, it's the day of preparation. It hasn't been, sundown has not come. The light is still out. It's in the day, it's in the afternoon. And, and they go and they receive Christ's body. And Nicodemus brings with him a hundred pounds worth of aloes and spices. Now, now Nicodemus is not some superhuman who's carrying all this by himself. Uh, so you need to understand his, some of his servants are with him and are helping him carry this. There's a, a group with him. So he's gone from coming to Jesus in the night, making sure no one would see him talking to Jesus, not understanding what Jesus was telling him. Now he's come boldly in the afternoon with his household to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Something amazing has changed within him in this story. 
And John's hinting to you all the way through that. Somewhere in there, Nicodemus' eyes were opened. And he understood that, that this Christ was the Messiah. Even if he didn't understand all that was going on, he understood that there was something amazing, that God's light was in this person, and his eyes were opened. This is the call that runs all through Scripture. You know, you, you, you can be in the darkness and you can be in the light, but God's call is be in the light. Be in the light. Have your eyes open. Understand that. And, and God even says, you know, when you are in the light, not only do you see the light, but you walk in the light, you become the light. The light surrounds you. He speaks to his people uh, through his prophet Isaiah and says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory, the Shekinah of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. Now, if you didn't hear it, that little bit about there about you know, the pointing of the finger, offering your food to the hungry, sounds very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 25 in the parable of the goats and the sheep. You know, if you're in the light, you're walking in the light... God woes before you. God comes behind you. And, and if you live as the people of God are called to live, with mercy and compassion, then God's light shines around you. And even, even the darkest time is going to be like noonday in your life. The light of God is going to surround you and shine in you and shine through you. Jesus is uh, pretty blunt with this stuff. He just flat says, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hit, hit, hidden. I mean, you know, he doesn't say... I'd like you to be the light of the world. It'd be nice if you guys would be the light of the world. You might be the light of the world, right? You, it, you are. You are the light of the world. You are. God has chosen you to shine his light upon and through to illuminate the world. Um, and he reminds us, uh, this passage in John reminds us that, you know, it's not because of our power, but rather to all who received him, Christ, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. It's, it's God's power moving in us. And Paul really makes that clear in Ephesians. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. We're called into this. Peter reminds us you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of darkness into light. And John writes in his first letter, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There, there's this understanding that the light comes into the world in the birth of Christ and is in the world in Christ and, and through the people of Christ. We're called to walk in the light, to see the light, to illuminate those who are around us, to share that light. That's, that's the light of the world, this picture that comes when you begin reading through all of Scripture. So, um, 
In Kansas City for a number of years, there was a, a, a man that was known as the Secret Santa. Nobody knew who he was. But, but around Christmas time every year, uh, he would make an appearance, uh, be written up in the newspaper where he would go to different parts of the city where people were having uh, difficult times and were in hardship. And he would hand out money. He would hand out cash. Uh, and uh, it started off as $20 bills, which when it started off actually was quite a bit of money. Uh, but then over time with the uh, you know, appreciation of inflation, uh, it went from being $20 bills to be hand $100 bills that he was handing out to people. No questions asked. He would just hand them out. And it wasn't until um, near the man's death that, that the whole story came out. Uh, his name was Larry Stewart. Uh, and uh, Larry started off uh, early in his career uh, trying to, to get a job uh, in the Houston area. And uh, had a couple little part-time jobs, but nothing worked out well. And he was really pretty in, in pretty dire straits himself at that time. And he went to a diner in town, and he got a cup of coffee because that's all he had money for. And the man that ran the diner recognized that he was in a really hard place, uh, down on his luck, not having any uh, you know, chance of getting any employment, and that he was hungry. And so the owner of the diner said, it's on me. And he gave him a big dinner for free. And that touched Larry's heart powerfully, that somebody would have enough compassion to recognize the situation he was in and to just give him something. No questions, no strings attached. And over the years, that stuck with Larry. Uh, in 1978 and 1979, both, he lost his job right before Christmas time. Uh, by then, he, he was in a better situation, so it wasn't really a desperate kind of thing. And in 79, when his job, when he received uh, notice that his job was going away, on the way home, he stopped at a, a drive-in place uh, and decided he would get something to eat. And, and as he was sitting there, uh, the car hop who was waiting on him, he, he noticed that the woman really did not have on an adequate jacket for the weather. This is Kansas City where the winters can be pretty tough. And, and, and so he thought about that and he paid her for the meal and then he handed her the first $20 bill he handed out. And she was so touched by that, she, she was moved to tears. And, and, and he realized what it was like to be on the other side of that act of compassion, that of sharing it with someone else. So that he had experienced what it meant to receive, but also what it meant to share. And he decided then that this was going to become something he would continue to do. So every year around Christmas, he, he would start handing out $20 bills and then later up to $100 bills. Uh, his career in the cable industry uh, did quite well. So uh, as he became wealthier, uh, he had more money that he could, could hand out and share. And, and he began to recruit people to help him with that. Uh, including some people in the police department, some people in the sheriff's department, because he wanted them to have the joy of doing this as well. Uh, and it became a thing in Kansas City. They wrote it up every year, but no one really knew where it was coming from until 2006 when he was diagnosed with cancer. And at that point, he went public because he wanted to hopefully encourage someone uh, to kind of carry this tradition on. Um, he passed away in 2007, and the folks in Kansas City didn't know if anybody was going to keep doing this or not. But amazingly, the, the $100 bills kept getting handed out all over town, all over different neighborhoods, different places, different times. No one knows who does it. To this day, no one knows who does all of it. Uh, he started this, and different people picked it up and carried it on in the city as a tradition, as a way of sharing hope and sharing compassion. Shining a little bit of light into the darkness of people's lives. 
So I'm, I'm just thinking about his example and the way we live. I'm just kind of wondering, who, who around you do you know is, is going through a dark time right now? Maybe they're struggling through something. It may be financial, it may not be. It could be health issues, it could be grief issues. What, 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 who do you know around you that is struggling in the darkness, that needs someone to shine the light of Christ into their life? And, and are you willing to be the person that does that? Because, you know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things came into being through Him. And what has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And try as it may, the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sharing the light with us. For coming into the midst of the darkness that we stumble through opening our eyes and our hearts, surrounding us with love, claiming us as your children, showing us the path before us, going before us and behind us to encompass us in light and in life and in hope. We ask that even as you shine your light into the midst of our lives, that, that through us that light would shine into the midst of other people's lives. That as once again we celebrate the birth of Christ, your light might illuminate not only us, but the whole world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.